0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 7th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including AMC's theatrical masking policy, uh, the Justice League Running Time, uh, Luke Skywalker's backstory in Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Mark Miller's first Netflix uh, project, and in the mailbag, we'll be talking about movies that deserve sequels. This is Peter Soretta, and joining me once again on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody?
1: You're back, kind I'm of. I'm back! Not, not, not yet, but...
2: Yeah, just You're for here. today. Yeah. I'm here. I, I don't even know how long it's been since I've been on. It's been a while, though.
1: Yeah, last time you were on, you talked a little bit about uh, your teaching. Uh, how's that been going?
2: Uh, yeah, it's going fine so far. I'm just, I'm just exhausted all the time. Really, it's just that's the big thing. It's just because going back and forth between the slash from stuff that I still do and the teaching and the stuff that I have to do for my actual student teaching program, it just leaves very little free time. Um, and so yeah, like I'm just I'm almost I'm busy pretty much every Part of the day so very little breathing room for anything else.
1: Do you still get to go see movies?
2: Not nearly as often as I would be if I were doing my normal stuff for you guys. It's um like in October When I, I saw I saw Blade Runner 2049 but that was the first movie I had seen in like two and a half or three weeks and then I missed another two weeks of movies basically uh, until I saw, gosh, what did I even see? Oh, I, for October break, I saw like Battle of the Sexes and Kingsman: Golden Circle finally, and then I took another little bit off, and then I just saw for Ragnarok last week. So oh. I'm, I'm trying to keep up, but wow,
1: Movie Pass is almost breaking even with you
2: almost almost but not quite
1: <laughs> um we've talked uh, let's jump into the news we've talked about in the past uh about amc i know that you're not a fan of amc uh on the site yesterday we had this um article on this tweet uh basically uh the, the headline is the world's largest movie th- theater chain essentially admits to not caring about theatrical presentation so what is the story about brad
2: Yeah, so, I mean, and here's the thing, too. Let me just start by saying, I don't completely and, like, blindly hate AMC theaters. I think there's some good things about them. I think their Stubbs program is awesome. Ever since they revamped their concessions, that's been pretty good. But when it comes to the actual presentation of movies, it seems like they've been caring less and less about delivering delivering a quality theatrical experience. And that's exactly what this most recent update regarding them is about because uh, this, you know, moviegoer – went to go see a movie, and while they were watching it, they noticed that there was no masking being done to this movie. Now, for those of you that don't know what masking is, uh, just to give you like a brief explanation is, uh, most movies are filmed in one of two different aspect ratios, which are referred to as full and scope. And in order to switch between the perspective that and the size of those aspect ratios, Masking is done to expand or shrink the borders of the screen so that the movie fills the entire screen, so that you don't see any letterbox bars like you do when you watch a widescreen movie or like a cinemascope-sized movie on your widescreen TV at home. But apparently, AMC Theaters now is starting to have this normal policy where they don't mask their movies so you see these black bars above and below certain movies and sometimes to the sides. So this is just now making the presentation of these movies look awful because you have these dull gray bars that are just sitting around, around your movie. And it really takes you out of the experience. It makes you feel like you're watching a movie on your TV, even though you have this big screen in front of you. And they replied to a person who complained about it, that this is just the normal thing that they're starting to do now, because apparently their digital lines are so clean and crisp that now it's just okay to do that. And, it's really disappointing.
1: Yeah, and they said, like, the projection technology. I, I mean, some projection technology, like the laser projection technology of, like, uh, Adobe um, Vision. Uh, you know, the blacks are so black that you can – that they say you can hardly notice. But it's it's never going to get to the point of having an actual mask over the screen.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's just I, – I don't know how much it costs to, to maintain – the mechanism that you know opens and closes to you know create the masking effect. Maybe they were having to repair it too often and it was costing them too much money. I don't know, but either way, it seems like a pretty poor decision to make a worse theatrical experience. And this is coming from somebody who has had unpleasant experiences with how AMC theaters uh, treats their movie screens. Anyway, like for example, uh, my local AMC theater. I went to see Get Out with my mom, and this was my second time seeing it, and I thought that the screen looked a little too tinted blue. Yeah. And so and so I went to talk to them I and was, I was like, I think something's wrong with the, like the color settings on the projector or something. And they were like, oh no, uh, our screen is scratched. I go, and if a silver screen gets scratched, it creates some inconsistencies with the color. I'm like, uh, okay, so why are you still showing movies on that screen? And then I saw two weeks later, I saw another movie in a different theater in the same multiplex. And it had a similar issue where it was a smaller section like a like a, uh, a faded circle in the middle of the screen where it was vaguely tinted blue as well. And it had the same problem. And just out of curiosity, I went and checked the other screen they had a problem with from two weeks earlier to see if it had been fixed yet. And it hadn't. And their excuse was that there's only like one company for the entire country that fixes silver screens. And they had to wait until they got to them. And I'm just like, give me a break. Like if that's the case – you either need to get a rush and get them to fix this, or you need to stop showing movies on these screens because they look terrible.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I talked about in the past my, my experience going to see Blade Runner and showing up to the theater and the ticket taker telling me, oh, uh, by the way, the, uh, the sound is kind of broken in that IMAX theater that you you know, paid 20-something dollars to see the movie in. Uh, it might be a little echoey. Uh, if you want, you can you know, get a refund or see the movie. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wh- who would choose to go see the movie to pay? By the
2: way. 50% of your movie theater experience is going to be bad. So if you want to pay for your ticket still, that's cool with us.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's just the, the worst. And by the way, I, I've talked to some people that apparently, you know, I've gone to Regal Cinemas and this is also a policy with theirs that they are, are doing, not doing the masking anymore. So this isn't something just isolated to AMC. Um, this, this could be the future of, you know, these mainstream, uh, widespread multiplexes and uh it's a shame uh i haven't experienced this in person but i do remember going to see um the hateful eight when it was doing its road show and i saw it in amc theater in burbank and that uh i'm not sure if you saw the road show version of of that quentin tarantino film but it was a very weird different aspect ratio than normal i forget what it is cinescope or something Uh, and um basically it was formatted on the screen that almost like that basically they didn't have um their masking technology couldn't go to the to the edges of the thing so there was wide like it was basically what you know this guy is saying it was basically an unmasked uh you know, very wide image in the middle of a screen, and it was it was very distracting. Actually, H- have you had any experiences with uh, not seeing masking in in an AMC theater?
2: No, I haven't. Yet. Well, oh, well, I did have one one time, but it wasn't. They didn't do it on purpose. Um, it just happened that their their um, masking mechanism happened to be broken that day. It was actually when I saw uh, Moana. Um, and so, and it was, and when I, when that happened, it was really distracting for me because I complained about it. I went, I was like, Hey, I was like, this isn't the, like the movie, cause it looks like the movie's not filling the whole screen, even though that's how it's supposed to be presented. Um, and it's, it's almost kind of like a psychological thing. Like you feel like you're being gypped cause you're not seeing the movie <laughs> f- fill the full, you know, area of what you see in front of you. And it really bugged me. But they, you know, they couldn't do anything about it because their mechanism was broken, and so yeah, that's, I like I said, I imagine that's probably why they're pulling back on it, so they don't have to keep fixing it.
1: I've also noticed that I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but some AMC theaters, when they show trailers, the trailer doesn't fill up the whole screen. Have you have you yeah, seen that?
2: I have I have seen that, and that's also annoying to
1: me. Yeah, I it, like it almost gives me like anxiety because I'm like sitting there watching the trailers, and I'm like. Is this is this messed up? Should I go and talk to someone like is the movie going to be OK? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Next up in the news is uh, Warner Brothers apparently made uh, sure that the Justice League runtime was under two hours. so They mandated it. What do we know about this, Brad?
2: Yeah. So there's a new report from Wall Street Journal uh, that did some you know profiling of Justice League. And apparently Warner Brothers CEO Kevin uh, Tsujihara said that he specifically uh, told Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio, that they wanted Justice League to be under two hours. And that's likely in reaction to the fact that Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice was a bit of an excessive 151 minutes, uh, which was a little, just a little too hefty of a movie. I think for people to really enjoy, so uh, they specifically set out to make a um, what is essentially the shortest movie in the DC extended universe.
1: Now, now, now a lot of people are celebrating this. You know, they're celebrating that like studio mandated uh, running time. Is that something we should be celebrating? I mean, in
2: this specific instance, I think yes, because. Um, As somebody who has enjoyed Zack Snyder before, uh, before, I I like 300. um, I like Watchmen. I I think that he can definitely, and I think even people who love him will agree with this, be a little self indulgent, and that includes runtimes for his movies. And Batman vs Superman was no exception.
1: Although I would argue, I would argue that I think um, the ultimate cut of Batman vs Superman. Have you seen that?
2: I haven't gotten around to watching it, but I have heard that it's better.
1: Yeah, it's better. It's, I'm not going to say it's a good, you know, it's a great film, uh, it, but it does make it better. It's a much more coherent movie. And, uh, Zack Snyder has a career. I, I wrote about this, uh, in the past on site that has this career of, uh, I think, you know, great or, or better director cuts than the theatrical cuts. And they usually release the director cuts on uh, Blu-ray or DVD. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if Warner Brothers had their hands in trying to get Batman for Superman to a more manageable length, and that led to you know the cut that we saw in theaters. Not that I I suggest that the three hour or whatever it is ultimate cut should have been in theaters, but uh, it was definitely a better experience. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's,
2: it, it's it's tough, it's tough to say because like you don't want the studio meddling too much with the director's vision. You don't want to cut. Um, a runtime just for the sake of cutting the runtime, and I imagine that certainly a big part of the motivation for this was you can't play you know a, a two and a half hour movie as often as you can a two hour movie in theaters, and if Warner Brothers is at all worried about diminishing returns because of the uh, you know reaction to movies like Batman vs Superman and Suicide Squad, which both did great at the box office, but also st- still ended up being panned by critics and even some fans, that you want to make sure that you get your money's worth with a movie like Justice League. Since this is Justice yeah. League, I don't really think they have anything to worry about because you bring all these superheroes together on the big screen for the first time, so it's, it's a little bit different. But there are definitely some people who I think still have this bad taste in their mouth who you know might wait to see whether or not Justice League will actually deliver what they hope it will before they go see it.
1: I mean, you do make a good point. You know, most of the the money that a, a movie makes is that opening weekend or two. And, uh, you know, if you have a two hour movie, you can fit one more showtime per day in that theater. But it's also interesting if you look at like the the movies that have made the most of all time and you also look at the the most critically reviewed movies of all time, there is shockingly more movies that are like two and a half, three hours than there are like you know 90 minutes 2 hour movies uh you know you look at the most the 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 uh biggest movies of all time like uh you know avatar titanic you know J- those things like they're usually like these big long epics right um so yeah i, I don't think it's it's smart to limit yourself but may, maybe it is smart after you've uh, had two movies with Zack Snyder and you're like we we know what we're going to get with this third movie let's 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 give him uh let's constrain him a little bit <laughs> um, anyways also in the news uh Mark Hamill has been doing some interviews and he basically told disney insider uh he spoke about uh the biggest challenge he faced returning to his iconic character for for all these years and this is the quote he gave he said uh the biggest challenge for me was actually in the time between Return of the Jedi and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I had to know what had happened to Luke during these years. I had to glean decades of backstory from the script, and some of it I had to make up for myself. I had to know what he went through during this time. It's not important to the storyline for this film— talking about last Jedi, but I did discuss some of my thoughts with writer director, Ryan Johnson to make sure I wasn't coming up with anything in my personal backstory that would affect Luke's portrayal in this film. So I think this is interesting because he's, he, he basically says here that what happened to Luke Skywalker between episode six and seven are not very important to the plot of star Wars, last Jedi. Um, I I know that's probably simplifying things. We, we we have seen in the trailers that we will apparently see a flashback to that, you know, that faithful day when Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren, uh, kind of massacred the, uh, the Jedi Academy that Luke Skywalker was a part of, you know, we see Luke's hand reaching out of the rubble. Uh, so we're going to get to see some of what happens between Return of the Jedi and force awakens. But, uh, You know, also today we published the story of Kathleen Kennedy basically, you know, trying to set fan expectations in in an interview with StarWars.com. She basically said that, you know, the movie won't answer all the questions. It'll answer some of the questions. So, uh, Brad, I I guess what I'm asking is, uh, should we be be mad that they're not telling us about Luke Skywalker and what he's been up to? And I, I guess my concern is... Are they just going to throw this into comic books and books that I'm going to have to read later on? I I want to see it on the big screen. What about you? I mean, no, it's it's a,
2: a very good question. But at the same time, we have to think about the fact that there are plenty of answers to questions that we never really needed but we got from the prequels and it kind of ruined stuff for us. Oh yeah.
1: Who, who is the emperor? You hear all these people saying like, you know, who is Snoke? Where did he come from? We, we didn't know anything about the emperor. And then they answered that in the prequels. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. You know, and we, so we don't need all the the answers to, uh, to all of these questions. You know, that's, that's a big part of the reason why I'm worried about the Han Solo movie is I don't necessarily know that I need answers to all the, the signature traits of what makes Han Solo Han Solo. And so, I think leaving some mystery is, is good that like we don't necessarily need to know everything that happened during that time. span. I'm sure we'll get some of it filled out, but I I feel like it's better to, jo- to join characters at a new point in their story, in their journey and pick up with them from there and kind of put, you know, certain pieces together and make our own assumptions and l- allow filmmakers to keep that mystery and, and leave it open for, you know, for, like our own imaginations. Like I think it's it's good for fans to be able to like think about things themselves and fill in the, the gaps their own way so that we don't need every single detail for every single character. So, while I would like to see some of that on the big screen in in some way, I I don't feel like we need everything explained to us.
1: Um and we should mention I mentioned yesterday on a podcast that the whole Disney situation around the L.A. Times that basically they had blacklisted the L.A. Times for writing articles about the Anaheim elections and their treatment of how they handled that or whatnot, uh, that basically they, they didn't allow the L.A. Times to see press screenings for Thor Ragnarok Um And in in response to that, a lot of critic organizations stood up with the L.A. Times, including the one I'm a part of, uh, Los Angeles Online, uh, basically saying that they weren't going to include Disney in the awards, uh, in their critic awards later this year um, in, you know, in uh, unity with the L.A. Times. Uh, But, uh, you know, that whole thing has come to an end. Uh, uh, Disney apparently (laughs) has seen... uh, the error in their ways and has have uh, agreed to work with LA times going forward. So um, we, we've talked about Mark Miller's uh, deal with Netflix. They have announced the first project that they're working on together. That is the magic order. Brad, what do we know?
2: Yeah. So Mark Miller's comic book company Miller world was picked up by Netflix a little while back. And initially everyone you know, thought that this was mostly because they were going to start turning some of other, Miller's other comic book properties into you know, TV shows or original movies. But Netflix was actually uh, looking to get into the publishing world as well. And they've just announced that they, their first comic will be The Magic Order, which sounds particularly cool. Uh, I'm going to read you the official synopsis of the series. Uh, We live in a world where we've never seen a monster, and these people are the reason we sleep safely in our beds. Magic meets the mob in the magic order, as five families of magicians sworn to protect our world for generations must battle an enemy who's picking them off one by one. By day, they live among us as our neighbors, friends, and co-workers. But by night, they are the sorcerers, magicians, and wizards that protect us from the forces of darkness, unless the darkness gets them first.
1: I So... Mark it Millar sounds, is always great with a premise. This sounds awesome.
2: Yeah, it, this it sounds incredibly cool. Uh, it it has you know like a a little bit of Harry Potter in it. It's got a little bit of Men in Black in it. It's got a little bit of you know Pick Your Mob movie. And you know I, I love combining you know these different genres and bringing them into one area. It's it, it, it hopefully it turns out to be something extremely cool because this, this kind of idea doesn't always work out too well. Like, um, you know, I'm not necessarily sure how Netflix's bright is going to turn out, but, like, I like the idea of mixing fantasy creatures and characters with a gritty crime underworld, but there's something that's kind of off about what we've seen in the trailer so far. Um, but this, I, I, I hope it's it turns out to be something that is worth watching. Uh, it went, it w- inevitably, when it turns into... A Series for now, it's just going to be a comic book, but I'm already looking forward to when they, they decide to turn this Into a series, but hopefully the comic book is you know on its own something that's worth paying attention to
1: This whole deal with Mark Miller is weird because you know I think many people when it was announced didn't expect that Netflix was going into publishing comics You know they thought you know they were buying Miller Miller world to you know? get those stories to turn them into TV programming and movie programming for their service. Um, it's interesting that, you know, this is their first comic book. I I'm wondering if, if the idea is to test these ideas in the comic book world and adapting the ones that hit to, you know, onto Netflix shows and movies, like, what do you, what do you think the grand plan is for this?
2: You mean for Miller World in general, or for like their their well, comic ne- Netflix? Publishing?
1: Netflix's use of Miller World. I, I can't imagine that the Netflix is super interested in making money off comic books in this day and age, right?
2: No, but I'm well, but here, but at the end of the day, if they own the rights to the comic book, they don't have to pay anybody for them, and they're in control of where the series goes if they turn into a series, or where the movie goes if they turn it into a movie. Oh, for sure, and, and all any money that they that is made from. You know, whether it's merchandise or something like that, it all comes back to them because they own the rights to it. So I, th- I think that's probably their their biggest game is just ma- being in control of every facet of the properties that they create, as opposed to some of the other projects where they've either you know picked them up, they're the one distributing them, and other people still have their you know their their hand in it as far as ownership is concerned. But but you know, but, I'm,
1: but I'm just wondering like are these all these projects going to be coming from Miller, or are some of these like ideas that Netflix has for TV shows that they're like unsure about that. They're like, you know, let's turn this into a comic book for, you know, a million dollars or whatever it costs to make a comic book, release it, see if people grab onto it. And then, do you know what I mean? Using it as Did a I... backdoor pilot for movies and no, TV. For sure. This is something that, you know, Hollywood is obviously afraid of original ideas. <laughs> they need to have a proven entity. And for the last 10 years, I think at Comic-Con, you, you see a lot of, like, celebrities putting themselves in comic books and basically promoting comic books as, like, a backdoor to try to get a movie or TV show made. So we've seen a lot of that. None of that has kind of really taken off in the way. Wasn't
2: um, uh, Wasn't there... Before Oblivion was a movie, weren't they going to publish it as like a graphic novel just to like get some traction first, but then it just end, it ended up just yes. moving forward as as a movie instead?
1: Yeah. I no, I think they actually made a comic book that for the sole purpose of pitching it as a movie. I'm yeah. not even sure if the comic book ever was released.
2: I don't think it was.
1: But uh, yeah. Okay, so that does it for the news. Uh, let's get into the mailbag because we we are running long, but we have a good mailbag question, so I want to get to it. Uh, Errol from Los Angeles writes in, "What movies do you think should have had a sequel, but never did? And if you have the time, what would you what would the plot to that said sequel be?" I'm not going to get into that much, but uh, he, he has a idea for Brothers Bloom sequel, which I'm not going to get into the plot because it's kind of a spoiler. Uh, but, um, I would watch that. Um, okay. So let's just get into our, our, um, our sequels that should have happened. Um, I'll start off first with, uh, Tron Legacy. It's a sequel that could still happen. Um, I think that movie sets up a world and sets up characters and Disney really, wanted to have a sequel and there might be a sequel um but i really love the aesthetic the sound of that world i want to i want to spend some more time inside of tron um you know i know tron legacy wasn't the the best received movie uh of that year uh but uh you know visually it's just so stunning and i i i want to i want to I want to spend more in in, in that world. Although I think the the movie kind of sets up this. uh, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without being spoilers. It kind of sets up the idea that the things inside the computer are going to come out into our real world, and I'm not sure that's as that exciting. Like I don't want to see people with like. Uh, late discs throwing, you know, late discs in our real world. That doesn't seem exciting. I, I want to see more of the world inside the computer. Um, h- how about you?
2: I, I'm pretty sure we're fine with spoilers for a movie from
1: 2011. P- people, y- you don't know, Brad, I, I get the emails. and You have no idea.
2: Well, then you give them my email and I'll just send them one single email back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. What What is your first pick?
2: Uh, so my first pick, and it's going to sound ridiculous at first because, this, first of all, this movie is not good. But there was a time when I saw it and I really liked it because I was still kind of young and not uh, educated in the ways of, you know, good cinema yet. Uh, but Lost in Space from 1998.
1: Yeah. And that's based on a TV show. And it's going to be a TV show for Netflix, actually. They're making yeah, a TV yeah. show.
2: Yeah, it's supposed to be, make a comeback. But uh, I loved... That movie when it came out in 1998, I was I was 12 years old when it came out, so it was like a sweet spot for me. For whatever reason, I just I was so excited to see it because I, I knew it was based on an old TV show. And I just I liked the concept; it looked really cool, um, and I loved that movie. And it's it is blatantly set up for a sequel. I I, I
1: won't say any spoilers because just in case,
2: uh, but no, but <laughs> I but for a
1: movie that's what 30, 30 years old.
2: Yeah, almost. Well, yeah, almost uh, twenty years old. 20 years but old. yeah, sorry. But um, but yeah, it's it is it is a very clear setup for for a sequel where they could have done anything, um, and I have I, always wanted to, I always wanted to see that happen, but I now it's uh, it's far too late now. But it it would have been cool I think to see that story continue even if the the movie didn't particularly uh, didn't age very well for for me.
1: Yeah, um, another one on my list is a movie that came out a few years ago called Dread, uh, starring Carl Urban as Judge Dread. Um, I think this movie, you know, has a cult following now, but I I, I don't think it was as well received as it is now. Uh, you know, it's kind of like was at the time. I think people were saying it was kind of a Raid rip off, which it, it it is kind of a rip off the Raid and set in a sci fi future. But I want to see further adventures of, of Dread. And I, I love what Carl Urban did with Dread. I loved uh uh wasn't his sidekick Olivia Thrillby. She's she's great. She needs to be in more stuff. Um, you know, they've been talking about doing a TV show. You know, I'd just like to see further adventures of Dread. What's your next one, Fred?
2: My next one is District Nine. Neil Blomkamp's fantastic two thousand nine uh sci-fi action adventure and there there were talks of district 10 becoming a thing at one point you know uh we were introduced to the concept of district 10 at the end of district 9 that did not spoil anything um but you know we have we have to see it happen and this is there's been talks of Neil Blomkamp, you know taking on another sequel in the alien franchise but that seems to have fallen apart and so you know, there's no better time I think for him to dive back into the the movie that kind of gave him the career he has today. And I, I would love to you know spend more time in this you know, the very unique, uh, grounded sci-fi world that that he created. It was it was such a compelling movie. Uh, I mean, it was nominated for best picture. And so seeing a sequel to it, I think would be would be fantastic. I, I'd love to see what he can do. You know, back in the in the world that he crafted so. Um, meticulously.
1: Yeah, and he hasn't had a hit in a while. I'd i, I would love to see, you know, Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh come back because I feel like you know, Blomkamp has some genius in him. I feel like he just needs a good producer to kind of uh you know, manage it all. <laughs> um yeah. yeah. Uh next on my list we talked a little bit uh last week about a Goonie the possibility of a Goonies sequel. Uh, you know, Sean Astin was talking about it. Um you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'd be super excited about a Goonies sequel today, you know, with the kids as adults and new kids. I'm not sure if that would be good, you know, in the kind of like the legacy equal thing, but I I wish I wish, you know, I wish sequels were as big when in my childhood as they are now because I would have loved to have seen, you know, 2 years later after Goonies came out, a Goonies sequel with the same kids having a new adventure um i used to play that uh that game for nes which was a goonies 2 and it was like a story of like some kind of mermaid or something it didn't make any sense but um, uh, i still love wondering what that movie would be uh but uh sadly never get the goonies sequel what's next up for you brad
2: next up for me is galaxy quest i don't know why we never got a sequel to this movie you well, did, and it's,
1: it was, it's called the Orville.
2: That's that's not fair, and that's not accurate, <laughs> and that's not even no, not even no. Uh, Galaxy Quest is is so cool, and it's it's another one of those movies that where it's it is very clearly set up for a sequel. Or you can follow the further adventures of the crew, but um, I don't I don't think Galaxy Quest was like a runaway hit when it was re- released in theaters. Like it, it was. It did well, but I believe it's gained in popularity more so in the time since it hit home video. Yeah. And, you know, it's, not, it's a movie where you could still do a sequel today. It's unfortunate that we're missing Alan Rickman for sure. That's very sad. But um, the good news is that we'll, we'll be getting a sequel in some capacity, not in a uh, theatrical sense, but the, the forthcoming TV series, as long as it moves forward um, at Amazon is a um a sequel kind of story because it will feature the old crew and it will also feature a new crew as well uh following in the footsteps of like the the star trek reboot style yeah so uh we'll 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 get a sequel in some way but it won't necessarily be a big screen sequel like uh i had always hoped to see
1: no i i i want to see further adventures of galaxy quest but i i i kind of wonder like is is the appeal of that show doing kind of like a Star Trek parody or is it you know the fish out of water you know having these people that were the actors in the show being thrust into the reality and I feel like in the sequel you lose a little bit of that that second component.
2: Yeah, you you definitely lose it a little bit. But at the same time I I think that's why I'm also I'm still very excited about the series because it throws in that idea of them still being fish out of water because they're dealing with the fact that their show has been rebooted and they're no longer like, you know, the, the cool, the cool crew.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Um, next up on my list is another movie from my childhood, which I wish had, you know, spawned a sequel at that time. And that is who framed Roger rabbit. Um, that movie was, you know, magic. It really was, and uh, they tried to work on a Rad- Roger Rabbit sequel. I think J.J. Abrams even was involved at one point like in it, early in his career, um, but they never got a Roger Rabbit sequel off the ground, and uh, I think that would have been great. I'm not sure it would be great today, but um, I would have loved to see. You know, that movie was a lot of – there's a lot of – Hollywood is doing these mashups – Today like you know the Avengers You know they want to see like these characters Interact that shouldn't interact and Roger Rabbit was that before anything Else I think kind of Um And uh, I don't know I, I wish we had gotten the Roger Rabbit sequel What's your next one
2: My next one Is and this is something that we uh, Was talked about in an edition of Slash answers uh, Is John Carter the, the franchise that Disney Hoped would be but ended up being dead on arrival.
1: It definitely set up sequels.
2: Yes, it did, and there are so many books that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote what, that allow for sequels to happen. But man, it was—I I really liked John Carter a lot, and I think that a lot of other uh, people like you and me all, also enjoyed it. It's—it had a, a Star Wars feel to it, mixed with Indiana Jones, and it was—it was stylish, it was fun. I didn't necessarily dig Taylor Kitsch in the lead, and apparently, a lot of people agreed. But I still really enjoyed the movie and I wanted to see where the franchise would go. But unfortunately, it just, you know, it bombed hard at the box office and we never got to see it happen. I I hope that they try again with John Carter at some point because I I think that there's a lot of potential there.
1: Yeah. You know what? The, The marketing campaign for that, I think, was just bad. Uh, Disney was afraid of, you know, releasing a film set on Mars. They took, you know, it was originally called John Carter of Mars and they took of Mars out of the title because they wanted to sell it to, you know, people that thought Taylor Kitsch was hot and didn't want to see a sci-fi movie. And, uh, yes, I don't think it's a home run, but I would have liked to see, I would have liked to see more. And I, I think someday s- somewhere they're going to reboot that because it's just such a classic sci-fi story. Um, next up on my list is the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? They've been talking about a, doing a sequel to that for many years. I, I, I think since John Hughes is dead, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I, I think it would have been cool to see Ferris Bueller, you know, in his twenties, at an office job and kind of like trying to ditch the job for the day. I, I, I think you could have done something cool with that in like the nineties or like early 2000s. Today, with Matthew Broderick, obviously it wouldn't work. But, um, I don't know. I think that could have been a cool cool way of doing a sequel to Ferris Bueller. What's next up in on your list?
2: First of all, I just have to say that I, that's the only one that you have here that I vehemently disagree with. Why? Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a perfect... Teen high school comedy from the '80s. It does not need a sequel. I think a sequel would taint it. It would just be. But you don't
1: think they could have done for what what it does for teenagers in high school? It could have done for '20s.
2: No, I think that there are already movies like that without without being a Ferris Bueller sequel. Like I, th- I think that a Ferris Bueller sequel would have been The Hangover Part Two.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Like, like I just feel like that's what that would have been the like it would have just been retreading all the same same beats and you know, I just, there's no, there's no way. There's just no way.
1: I don't know. I think it would be interesting to see what happened to Ferris Bueller, but, but you're right. Maybe the way Hollywood would take it, especially without John Hughes, uh, it might not be the right direction.
2: Yeah. Uh, so the next one on my list is real steel. This is a movie that I really, really liked a lot. And it's the kind of movie that, uh, Disney doesn't really make, too much anymore uh, they've kind of strayed away from any live-action movies that aren't remakes of their animated movies in recent years and so th- um, this one for me is directed by Sean Levy and it's just it's way better than a movie like this has any right to be it's it's got an Amblin sort of feel to it um, you know I, I just I've always really liked it and you know if boxing movies like Rocky and now Creed can get sequels there's absolutely no reason that real Steel, can't get a sequel i would love to see you know how adam the robot boxer at the the center of the story evolves as a fighter and i just think it would be be great to continue that story
1: next up on my list is one of my favorite movies it's almost famous it's one of your favorite movies as well i know this might be blasphemy putting this on this list but it's you know I just love the film so much, and I haven't seen Cameron Crow do anything as personal since this movie and i I think if you know the story of Cameron Crow, which is what you know, the story of Almost Famous is based on, I think, you know, where this could go. And, you know, in, in his 20s, he's working for Rolling Stone a magazine, Rolling Stone magazine moved from L.A. to New York. Uh, Cameron Crowe decided to stay behind in Los Angeles. And um, he uh, I think like, you know, he was doing freelance work for them. But like he, he kind of like now that he wasn't a teenager, you know, it wasn't as a hut of a writer. And he kind of pitched this book to uh, a book company that he was going to go undercover at a high school and for a year and write about it in a book. And that book became the book Fast Times of Ridgemont High, which got adapted into a movie. Now, he's not a character in that book and movie. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be an interesting, even if it wasn't a a direct sequel, if it was a spiritual sequel. I think... There could be something to that whole, you know, a writer going undercover in high school and that whole thing. I, I, I think, I think there's something there. You know, it might not be almost famous too. But what do you think of this idea, Brad?
2: I think that Cameron Crowe's life is definitely an interesting one to turn into a story. I think you're right, though. It's probably not almost famous too, but it's probably just, you know, either some kind of. Series or yeah, or a film that's kind of just about, again, loosely based on Cameron Crowe's early life, you know, how he became a filmmaker, and that kind of thing. There's definitely an interesting story to be told there.
1: What, what's the last one up for you?
2: Last one for mine is Spaceballs. Without a doubt, I have always wanted to see a Spaceballs too, and I I'm kind of surprised that you know one didn't happen after the prequels came out, since the prequels are just ripe for parody. Um, you know, and now that we have a new, a whole new star Wars trilogy and even more star Wars films that are being made, I just feel like there's no better time for a Spaceball sequel to come together. Um, and there, there have been rumblings of it here and there in recent years about, you know, it potentially happening and them trying to get it off the ground. But Mel Brooks is definitely getting up there in the year. So if it's going to happen, it's got to happen very, very soon. Um, and I'm not sure I would trust anybody else besides Mel Brooks in his hands. because, like, you know, the, the did only
1: you, Did you ever see that really crappily animated TV show?
2: No, I never got to see it. I was always interested in seeing it just to see how bad it really was.
1: It, it was not good. So, yeah. yes, without Mel Brooks involved, I, I would not watch it.
2: The only person I think that I would, could trust with Spaceballs is probably David Wayne and Michael Showalter. Because what about Lord and Miller? <laughs> well, here's the, the reason I say Wayne and show is because they made, they came together, which is an incredible parody of romantic comedies. Yeah. It is in the same vein as airplane and the naked gun. It's, it's ruckusly hilarious. And so if anyone knows how to do parody the way that Mel Brooks and Zucker, Abraham and Zucker do, it's Wayne and show like they nailed it. And so if anyone could capture that same spirit. uh, and has the you know kind of the nerdy sensibility to do it right. I think it's them, but yeah. And, and they've uh, Rick Moranis' idea is the one that I've always wanted to see come to fruition. The the pitch that he had for Mel, to Mel Brooks was it was going to be called Spaceballs Three: The Search for Spaceballs Two.
1: <laughs> I, I love that as a title. I'm not sure if that's an actual good movie, <laughs> but I um... think
2: I think it would be awesome.
1: Uh, the the last film on my list. By the way, this list was kind of hard to put together. I, I, it was it was hard to think of movies that I love that I actually want to see more of. And one of them that came to my mind was the Doug Lyman nineteen ninety six film Swingers, starring uh, John Favreau and Vince Vaughn. Obviously, you know, those two have worked together again, you know, made is kind of like a spiritual sequel to swingers, but you know, it's obviously them playing much different characters. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, it would have been interesting. I think Hollywood has changed a lot since the, the mid nineties. I think it would be interesting to see, you know, what happened to Mike and Trent and all those guys, uh, you know, where they ended up and, um, you know, obviously they're not going to capture the magic that was Swingers. It would probably be a disappointment, but I I kind of want to know where where they what happened? Where they went after uh, after the events of that movie.
2: Oh, I have one more. Oh, go for it. Uh, I I can't imagine it would be good. Probably wouldn't, but I have always wanted to see a Wayne's World 3. <laughs> and like I recently rewatched Wayne's World 2 cuz it's on Hulu. I mean I have it on DVD but like it was much it was just a little more convenient and I saw it pop up on Hulu so I just played it while I was working. And uh Wayne's World 2 diff- it hits, you know, the same kind of beats and similar jokes to the first movie but it is, it's a solid comedy sequel. It it works really well.
1: I I, um, I think people don't like it because the storyline's a little too ridiculous.
2: Yeah, but it's—I mean, you know—it's—it's it's based on a Saturday Night Live sketch, and like the first one wasn't like grounded in some ser- serious reality or anything like that. Um, it definitely it heightens the comedy a little bit, but I still think it's really funny and uh, extremely enjoyable. And just I—I I think it would be fun to bring Mike Myers and Dana Carvey back together. So
1: is Wayne's World now a YouTube show?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's—I think that's what's so cool about it. Is so much has changed since the '90s that. You know, in this case, bringing those characters in, you know, seeing what they're like in this time frame would be very, would be extremely interesting. Um, you know, whether it's because they haven't changed with the times or because, you know, they have and it's just, you know, the same Wayne and Garth just living, you know, in, in contemporary society. I think that would be interesting. And if, you know, if they're going to make a Bill and Ted three, then, you know, why not make a Wayne's World three?
1: I think you got the pitch there. It's that they haven't changed with the times, but they're, you know, the clash of that. Um, yeah. But that does it for both of our lists. You can ask your questions to us in the mailbag by sending your emails to peter at slash dot com. Please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention your question on the air. Uh, Brad, where can we find more of your work online?
2: I'm on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Uh, I'm also still writing at slash dot com, though not as frequently as I was a couple months ago. But don't worry, I'll be back in about a month and a half or so. Um, We have been warned (laughs) Exactly Uh, And then you can also listen to uh, My podcast called Go Flix Yourself Uh, It's available on iTunes And other podcasting
1: platforms Yes you can find all the stories we talked about Today on SlashFilm.com There's actually a feature On uh, on the site today um, An unpopular opinion Saying that Stranger Things 2 Is better than Stranger Things 1 Blasphemy but uh, go read that. Uh, you, you can click on all the links in the show notes. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. You know, Please send us feedback, peter at slashfilm.com. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, and we will see you tomorrow.